Welcome to the Bible Studies for Life adult podcast. This is hosted each week by Chris Johnson and myself, Lynn Pryor. And uh, we're glad that you joined us for this podcast. So, Chris, got a question for you. Okay. Are you good at following advice? Hmm. I think it depends. Um, depends on who's asking. Yeah. Like, like who's the source? Uh, uh, sometimes I might. I'll have to confess. Sometimes I might be just a little defensive and like, like, where's this coming from? When I know some of that and and feel like, oh, yeah, this would work. I, I, I think I'm pretty agreeable to following advice. I don't know. Well, you and I've worked together for a while. Do I follow advice? Okay, Lynn. Well, it depends on the day. It depends. It really depends. Yeah, my wife would say the same thing about me. It depends on what day it is, whether I, he, I listen to her or not. Like when she's always offering this advice, like saying, you know, you really should slow down as we go through this little town. But sometimes I listen, sometimes I don't. <laughs> well, this podcast, we're going to be talking today, uh, this session, it's, it's more than just following advice, because in Scripture, God doesn't give us advice. He gives us commands, and these commands are for our benefit. So we're in the fifth week of the study, how to build your life on God's word. And so following his commands, teachings, uh, we looked at we've looked at some Psalms in the past where we're, there's a lot of different words for, you know, command or teaching or all those kind of things. Um, but the focus is that we hear God's word and that we do it, that we obey his word. That's true. Well, joining Chris and I for this podcast is Ken Parker. Ken, thank you for joining the podcast today. Thanks. Glad to be here. And Ken is a uh, one of our writers. Uh, actually, he's a longtime writer uh, with with Lifeway. Um, back in the day, he was an editor. Uh, worked at Lifeway for many years. Uh, pastored a church in Franklin, Tennessee area, and now he's retired. Uh, but Ken is not fully retired because I still am able to entice him to write some commentary for us from time to time. And Ken, you always do a very good job with your writing, which is why I keep asking you to write again. So thank you for using your gift of writing in ministry. Thanks, we are um, in, this, in the middle of this study or toward the end of the study on how to build your life on God's word. And we're going to talk about obeying God's word. Previous study was in the book of James. Most all of our lessons came out of James. And Lynn, I remember that you and I were talking about this particular session. And uh, it came up in our conversation that, oh, man, you know, that passage in James that talks about being doers of the word would be would be perfect for this. But we just did James. And then I remember that look on your face. It was like, hey, but we didn't do that passage. <laughs> Which it got us to hear. You got us to hear. So we are going to be back in James. We're going to be James chapter one. And this once again, the idea is that we're going to be looking at what it means to obey God's word with this idea that we display the truth and value of God's word as we live it out. So James is going to help us to really see this as he does so well. Let me begin reading in verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen slow to speak, and slow to anger. For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, 
humbly receive the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. As I was thinking about this uh, in, in preparation for us doing this podcast, uh, it just ran through my mind that uh, one of the things that Chris James wrote was, we don't, we don't like to be told what to do. And it struck me that that's, maybe that is the heart of some of what's gone on over the last couple of years in regard to COVID and uh, vaccinations. It's okay if, if I choose to, but there's just a lot of people that don't want anybody, especially the government, to tell them what to do. Is that accurate? Yeah, again, I think people are so different one from another. Uh you're right. We don't like to be told what to do. Of course, what we're talking about here is we're not just talking about anybody telling me what to do. That's true. Not just anybody. We're talking about God. James is very practical in, in a lot of ways. He tells us some things that will help us in every part of our lives. So things like um, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. That's really good advice. All of us have been married for a little while. And uh, we, we know the significance of these words. It stands out to me is the way all three here, the way James addresses his readers. He calls them brothers or love brothers. The context here of a church that James is writing to. That, and, and to me, I wonder, commentary suggested he may be talking about when they get together and for worship and teaching, how they treat each other. All had a lot of trouble in Corinth. They got together. So maybe this is part of the situation that he's dealing with. Another thing that stands out to me is in verse 20, when he talks about the goal of here is God's righteousness. And the goal is not just to know stuff, like I think Chris had mentioned earlier, it's, but it's more than just knowing something. It's what and James is going to get a great deal more, but about the doing of it. But what's the ultimate goal? The goal is God's righteousness. That's the standard that he, we're talking about here. Anything less than that is, is not worthy worthy of Christians. And then in verse 20, 21, 21, about the implanted word, that could have lots of interpretations. Uh, here, it seems pretty clear that he's talking about the word he says, able to save. So I assume he's talking about the gospel. Jesus in John 1 is called the word. Of course, we refer to scripture as, you know, it, it may be that he's, kind of, I think, first of all, he's talking about the gospel. That the gospel is what saves us. It's mm. not just the Bible. It's the it's especially the gospel. But then we could also we certainly could apply it to the other areas too. That Jesus is the word. The Bible is the word. And it's just looking at it holistically. So you look at the contrast between he's talking about the anger. Anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. In contrast, there's a call for humility. And typically, if I'm being humble, I'm not driven to anger. And if I'm getting angry, or yes, he uses the phrase human anger, there's evidence there. I'm not being humble like I should be. I liked what Chris James did explaining what it means to receive something humbly. He talks about uh, that this is a, a, the posture of our hearts. Uh, he said uh, he actually spelled out three things. He said when we are humble, when we recognize our need, when we know our limitations, that reminds me of Clint Eastwood, and then we admit uh, <laughs> our inadequacy. And, and 
those aren't always things that are that come naturally are easy for us to come to the place where we recognize that we we need God, we need his leadership, that we are inadequate, that we have limitations. Um, I, maybe it's more men, since we don't have a woman on the panel today, that we don't have anybody that can speak for that. Um, but the, the whole issue of humility can, can be difficult for, for men, especially, um, to, to own and to uh, take into account in their response to God's word. One thing to remember is that Jesus used this word of himself. Come to me, all you labor, because my burden is light. I'm humble and lowly of heart. So there's the standard for us. I mean, if he's the son of God and he's humble, <laughs> it says a lot to us. So, Lynn, we started with the issue of taking advice and responding. Uh, again, uh, Chris James says, we cannot follow Jesus without allowing him to tell us how to live. And that's a good reminder for us. Sure is. That is not an option for us. We have got to live under the Lordship of Christ. And we do that with humility. And I just, I, I, as Ken, you talked about this implanted word being the gospel. Uh, but I'm driven by every time I read the word, I want to read it as this is God's word to me. I need to accept it as hard as it may be in, a, in the moment, what I'm going through that day, I need to accept that and just embrace it. And what helps me a little bit is to realize that God's word is for my benefit. So why would I not want to humble myself before him and live under that? You come down to verse 22 is we see this importance of embracing God's word, humbly embracing it that's been implanted in us, that our obedience to that needs to happen without delay. Uh, let me read verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not for a forgetful here, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. I've always loved this passage. It's just, again, the, the practicality and the reminder that, um, it, you know, we just we don't we don't teach or do Bible studies or go to church just to hear nice things and then go on our merry way. God, God wants us to hear his word. And like what you said a minute ago, Lynn, that we will then embrace it and apply it and put it into practice in our lives. One of the things that stands out to me is just that he talks about words of the word. And it's something we take. We can also read the word. But these people that James was writing to, they couldn't do that. I mean, they had the Old Testament, but they didn't really have much of the Old Testament. James was perhaps one of the earliest books written. So all they had were letters like from James and others that would be sent out eventually. And then the, the traveling apostles, the traveling preachers and teachers that would go around, they literally heard the word. But we have the advantage, of course, not only hearing from our pastors and our teachers, but also we have this thing in our houses. We can read it all the time. That's right. 
if I err one thing in reading uh, scripture, it's the fact that I read it. It's it's a it's a daily daily habit for me. But sometimes in the process of reading, my mind's going to go to something I need to take care of in a few minutes or later that day, and all of a sudden I realize I just read six eight verses. <laughs> what did I read? And I have to go back and and double check because if I'm if I'm not careful, I will say I read the scripture, but I didn't really hear it you know what i mean i mean i just i didn't i didn't capture it and i gotta tell you that's one thing i do value about doing group bible study as uh we're looking at the scripture uh that even as we're talking here that process of hearing what you see in the scriptures and god uses what you say as you unpack the word oh yeah yeah i see that i see exactly what you're saying and that helps me see how it connects to my life Again, I think uh, Chris did a good job of helping us to see that, um, the, the, again, the practicality of, of hearing it and doing it. Um, so a lot of the times it seems like that people or there are people who, who want to know all the information, who want to gather the facts and, and have this knowledge, this information and be able to explain things about God's word, but the doing part seems secondary. It seems like it's not a big deal. And um, a lot of the emphasis on discipleship and the focus on following Jesus means that we hear his word and that we do it. We put it into practice. It's, it's Matthew 7, those who hear my word and do it. Those who hear my word and act on it, uh, these are my followers. So th- that that challenge that James gives us to not on, not just read it, hear it, but to put it into practice in our everyday life uh, is a great reminder for people for all time. There's uh, uh, some humor in how, to me, to me. There's humor in how uh, James uses his example of it's like that guy that looks in a mirror looks at his own face in the mirror. He goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. I just, the humor of that, because, you know, if you look in a mirror, the assumption is if you see your hair needs fixing, it needs comb, you, you got a smudge on your face. The assumption is you're going to take care of that. Or if you have broccoli in your teeth, according to uh, Chris's example. <laughs> I, I, I've been notorious about that. I will be painting. I'll be outside painting and I'll come in and, and I look in the mirror and I, and I see the, you know, get understand how I paint. It, it gets everywhere. Uh, but I'll see it on my face, on my cheeks, and I'll get it out. And then I'll, I'll walk out later. My wife, Mary, will say, you got paint in your hair. Well, I was too busy focusing in the one part section of the mirror that I didn't look at the other section. Uh, but, which is, <laughs> but James is saying it's so obvious. You look in a mirror, you see something, you fix it. And when we look into God's word and we see something about ourselves, we fix it. Yeah, talk to us a little bit about this phrase, the perfect law of freedom. When I think about the law of freedom, I think of what Jesus himself said. He said, if I'm going to tell you the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that is true, of course, B word, capital W, Jesus himself, but it's also true of the capital W word of Scripture that you want to be free because Jesus also said, whoever, is, whoever sins is a slave to sin. What I value so much about my salvation is it frees me from two things. It frees me from the slavery of sin. And Paul writes about it in Romans 6. Says, you don't have to keep doing this. You shouldn't keep doing these things. You're able not to do those things. But the other, it frees me from the sin. 
And I, that freedom is so huge. I'm not sure exactly which law of freedom here that, that James means, but it's, I think it's just the general principle of following Jesus because Jesus said, the way, the truth, the life, I will enable you to be, when I make you free, you'll really be free. That goes so against how so much your culture perceives the Christian life or perceives what it means to obey scripture, that there's a feeling that God is wanting to throw a wet blanket on our lives and just kind of make us miserable. Yet it's uh, when we're obedient, you know, you feel like, well, you're going to tie yourself down. You lose your freedom. No, it's, it is. It's just the opposite because I'm living according to God's plan for me, the one who created me, if I follow his owner's manual, I'm going to get the most out of my life. Uh, so there's that call there for us to, uh, to, when we see it, just obey it because there's freedom. So before we shift away from this passage, um, one of the questions that we have uh, ties to verse 22. Um, what help? What are some ways that we deceive ourselves when we don't follow God's word. So that's the reference there is be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. How, what are some ways people deceive, deceive themselves and, and not apply or not put into practice God's word is a great question. I think the ultimate test is our trust. Who, who are you going to trust? Who are you going to believe? The world has all kinds of ideas on what we should do to better ourselves and the, fulfill ourselves and be successful, all that kind of stuff. God says, I'm telling you, this is the truth, but do we trust it? It's like going to a doctor and he gives you an order for medicine. Do you trust the doctor enough to go fill, fulfill, get the prescription filled? That shows trust. You do something. Same thing is true of the word of God. Who wrote it? How do you know you can trust him? And then do you trust him? How do you prove you trust him? James says, by being doers of the word. I think, too, of this may be going down a little bit of a, a side road, but I deceive, we deceive ourselves sometimes when we think, oh, I know what God's word says, and we don't. Or, you know, we only feed on it once a week, and we think, oh, I'm good. I, I heard a good sermon, so I'm good for the rest of the week, whereas I need to be in God's word daily because what I need on a Tuesday or a Wednesday could be different than what I heard on Sunday. Because uh, I need God to speak to me so I can know how, what to do and to follow at that point. But I think I deceive my, uh, we, we tend to deceive ourselves into, uh, I'm good. I, I could skip, I could skip a week. <laughs> well, what James is going to take us to do is as we get into verse 26 uh, and verse 27, these last two verses of our study, to see that our faith is worthless if our words and our actions don't line up. Uh, James has been talking about, you know, be doers. Don't just listen to it. Uh, so our words and actions got to add up, connect together. If they don't, our faith is worthless. He said in verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. But pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So we spent a, a whole session um, earlier in this quarter talking about the importance of controlling our tongue or, and, and the power of the tongue. His point is very clear. If, if you can't do that, your religion's uh, useless. And here's an example of us <laughs> deceiving ourselves. Uh, but then he moves to, this is, this is what true religion is. 
taking care of the vulnerable and keeping yourself unstained from the world. So uh, again, very practical words for us to hear. Pattern that's uh, spoken of God himself in Psalm 5 says that God is the father of the fatherless and a champion of widows. And of course the Jewish tradition was very strong that, we, that everybody should be taking care of widows and the orphans. So it's just, I think it's just an obvious thing for James, writing probably to Jewish readers that they would definitely be familiar with. This would be part of their tradition. And he says, if you're not doing this, then you're not following the word of God. So we have a history as the, uh, in the church of, of starting and supporting um, orphanages. Um, many, many churches today are taking on the response, taking this verse seriously by taking uh, responsibility to become foster parents and uh, to adopt children. Uh, so for me, it's been really healthy to see um, people actually practicing God's word and making it a priority. But Chris, with that, and I, I applaud people doing that, but sometimes what uh, others of us in the church do, we consider the fact that we gave to the church and we have a church a line, a line item in our budget that is benevolence, that's to take care of, you know, in a sense, the widows and the orphans, people in need. Well, I am, I am helping to, uh, to, to quote this, I am looking after widows and orphans because I give to the benevolence offering at the church. Now, I applaud the fact that we give, that we're able to financially support this. But I, I just see and hear a call for us that you see a need in front of you. Don't just write a check to it. If you see the need, step in and do what you can to help. I think there's a need for both and, and, and people who are listening to her podcast, you come from a wide variety of churches and you should probably take a moment to look at what first, what does our church do in the, in the area of benevolence? And I'm afraid that a lot of churches have skipped over that responsibility. Lynn, I don't, I, I just, um, I think maybe when something comes up, they they might be surprised to figure out, well, how can we how can we help? But they don't plan to do that necessarily. So this is a good challenge from that perspective. But it is good to hear your your challenge that we need to take this personally. Uh, that there are some things that I need to do to help people to 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 care for the vulnerable that come that come across my path. In John three, John talks about hey, if you see a brother in need and you have enough resources to help and you don't do it, how does the love of God abide in you? So it's, a, I mean, it's not like once a week, once we go and do this service, whatever, it's, it's every moment of our waking being. We see a need, we have the ability to meet it, and God expects us to do it. Again, I think James is very practical in reminding us that we must keep ourselves unstained from the world. This call to holiness, to holy living, um, again, I think this is a place where it just seems like we're not taking that seriously a lot of times um, in, in the church and in our personal lives. Well, I think that's what John, Jesus was talking about in Matthew 5, 20. He said, it's not enough. You can't count that as righteousness that pleases God. It's, it's this caring for other people and letting God work through you to minister to them. And of course, Paul was really big on it. He said, the true Jew is not one who keeps the law. The true Jew is the one who lives by faith and follows the will of God. And that sometimes we get caught up. I think Lynn was talking about earlier about we just worry about the words. We worry about them sometimes and we pat ourselves on the back 
that's not what God is calling for. Well, all through this study of the previous sessions, it's all on how to build our lives on God's word. And we've talked about those, those exercises, those disciplines that help us really get into the word, the studying it, uh, meditating, the memorizing, hearing it. But here we're coming down to, okay, if you value God's word enough to read it and study it, you need to show that by the way you live it out. It, it, uh, it's not enough to know what the Bible says. It's not enough, as we talked in the previous session about memorizing scripture. What's the point if you're not living it out? And our point with this has been that we're going to display the truth of God's word. We're going to display the value of God's word as we live it out. Again, we want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. And uh, Ken, Glenn, good, good to have this conversation. I want to close this segment by, uh, again, we, we have created discussion questions that we hope will help uh, your class, ha uh, uh, have the, your group have the opportunity uh, to have some conversation. And the last, converse, the last question that, that uh, I want to point, us out, point out to us is, what are some consequences when our words and our actions don't align? Um, I, I, I hope that that kind of question will cause the people to talk and to think about, um, are they living and doing God's word on a regular basis? If you wanted to do the, the opposite of that, I was just about the consequences of not obeying, what are the benefits when our words and actions do align? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of good that comes out of it. Of course, the big one is we glorify God. Uh, we point to the gospel. We, we point to the truth, the reality of the gospel. and A lot of good that comes out of this. Well, I, I agree with Chris. Thank you for uh, listening, being part of this podcast. And Ken Parker, thank you for taking the time to, uh, to be with us to have this conversation. Thanks for letting me. And uh, we hope that uh, all of you in your respective Bible study groups, whether you lead a group, facilitate a group, or you're just a group member, I hope you would do everything to just to have a really rich and great Bible study this week. 